You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Many have compared the long offseason of college football to climbing Mount Everest. But this is the time that champions are made. Rockin' Ritz Sermonello, we are six weeks away from the time that toe meets leather. And for a conference like the Big Ten, they're going to look to start fast week number one of the 2017 season to erase that 2016 bowl performance. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, we're going to open up with Michigan against Florida. A lot of people want to know, you know, the Wolverines, can they overcome, Joe, the loss of so many players, so many starters, both on offense and defense, Ohio State. That was the real... That was the real big problem in the postseason last year. 31 to nothing against Clemson in the playoffs. So not a good showing for the Big Ten in the postseason. But I got to say, this conference has come a long, long way. If you go back to the beginning of the decade, Joe, you remember, you know, they, people were wondering, do they have the speed to compete with the SEC? Is this a conference that's filled with mediocrity? But since that point, They've added coaches like Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, Urban Meyer at Ohio State, James Franklin at Penn State. So the entire demeanor, the overall outlook for this conference is a lot brighter than it was at the beginning of the decade. Sit back, relax. Rich and I have you covered for the next two hours. Big Ten football front and center stage. We have a great show planned for you today. Live from Studio 34, Rockin' Riley's studio, state-of-the-art right here in New York City. 10.30 Eastern time. We're going to be joined by Purdue head coach Jeff Brom. We'll get Jeff's take taking over that program 3-9 and last year under Daryl Hazel. But optimism is... In West Lafayette with the Hilltoppers coach taking over at uh, Purdue at 11 o'clock Eastern time. We'll be joined by Akron head coach Terry Bowden. We'll get Terry's take about his zips. They started four and two last year, ended the season at five and seven with some key injuries, but they do play Penn State week number one of the season. And then at 1130 Eastern time, we're going to be joined by the voice of IMG Michigan analyst Jim Jansen. We'll get his take about what Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines have to do to win the division and more importantly get into the college football playoff for the upcoming season we're just getting started this is what it's all about Rich I mentioned the bowl season three and seven overall for uh, the Big Ten this conference really needs to kick start it they need to get momentum and when I look at Ohio State I'm worried about the residual effects of that 31 to nothing blowout loss to the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, see, I go the opposite way. I think when you have a coach like Urban Meyer, I think he's going to use that shutout, the only shutout of his head coaching career, to motivate those players throughout the offseason. So I think he'll actually be able to use that as a benefit as we get closer to the season. When we come back from break, Rich and I will be breaking down the Big Ten East. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Back on College Football Today, right here on Studio 34. We have a great show planned for you today. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could follow me on Twitter, at go for the 2 That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter, at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Great lineup today with Jeff Brom, Terry Bowden, and John Jansen from Michigan. Rich, this is what it's all about. The long off season, we have media days, mm-hmm. but we turn our attention to a solid conference in the Big Ten. And when you look at this Big Ten East, I mean, it is loaded with three top teams, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, neck and neck. Should be a very entertaining 2000, 2017 season. Yeah, Joe, I, you know, when we look at the, this half of the Big Ten, I, I think it's comparable to the SEC West. And I, and I think the conference in general is very similar to the SEC in that you have such a concentration of power in one half of the of, of the conference. On the other side, in this case, the Big Ten West, a lot of good programs. Not sure if anyone who will rise to the level of actually playing uh, in, the, in a Big Ten championship and then having a shot at the playoff. But in terms of the East... Ohio State, legitimate playoff contender. Michigan, rebuilding, but obviously you can't take the Wolverines lightly with Jim Harbaugh. And Penn State, for those fans who think that Penn State last year was a bit of an anomaly, maybe a one-hit wonder, with Trace McSorley back under center, with Saquon Barkley in the backfield, with a much better offensive line than we've seen in, in Happy Valley in a number of years, Penn State's going to score a ton of points, and I think they'll be right back in the mix for a, uh, for another Big Ten title. I agree with that, and I have them as a playoff team. I think when you look at Penn State and the progression of Trace McSorley over the course of last year, I mean, they won nine straight games. A different quarterback than former quarterback Christian Hackenberg that was a prototypical dropback passer that put a lot of pressure on that offensive line. His mobility really added that uh, offensive balance for James Franklin and the offensive staff, and that's why they they ended their year at 11-3 and overall, but we'll turn our attention to Ohio State and Urban Meyer. I want to keep it there because I, when I look at this team overall, I mean, in my opinion, they exceeded expectations last year. A lot of people thought there would be a drop-off with Ezekiel Elliott moving on to the NFL and the key losses on the defensive side of the ball with defensive end Joey Bosa, but they reloaded. They were 11-2, and did get back to the playoff. I look at this team overall, Rich. I picked them to go 8 and four. I'm not sold on this team, not just on the defensive side of the ball with the key losses of Lattimore, Conley, uh, and Raekwon McMillan, to say the least, their leading tackler, but they lose 16 of the team's 26 receiving touchdowns with DeAndre Wilson, Samuel, Noah Brown moving on to the NFL. Are you predicting eight and four, Joe? I am. I'm predicting an eight and four season wow. out of Urban Meyer. I I have the reasons to back it up, but I want to get your take on okay. what you uh, what you think about yeah. this team entering 2017. Well, uh, yeah, I got you. Listen, I, I I see flaws. Obviously, the concern is offense. They bring in a new offensive coordinator in Kevin Wilson. Uh, one of the better offensive minds uh, in, in college football. Did a great job at Indiana before being let go in December. I think this offense takes the next step forward. I I don't know if we're going to see JT Barrett that we did a few years ago where he contended for a Heisman Trophy. 
He was erratic last year, made a lot of bad decisions. And I agree with you in terms of the receivers. A lot of the young kids are going to have to step up and really deliver. But I look at line play, offensive line, defensive line, arguably the best defensive line in the country right alongside with Clemson. Line play, they are so strong. And now that you have Wilson along with JT Barrett, Mike Weber in the backfield, there's such an abundance of talent. You have an angry team after last year's loss to Clemson in the playoff game. I think this is the class of the Big Ten. I don't see the four losses that you do. I know there are flaws on offense, but I think this is an 11-1 football team in 2017. Well, here's what I look at when I look at Ohio State. And granted, Urban Meyer recruits top five talent each and every year, a la Nick Saban, and they reload and they retool. But two years ago, Michigan State made it to the playoff. They got dominated by the Alabama Crimson Tide 38 to nothing. They had a senior quarterback in Connor Cook. A lot of people thought that they would be a top 10 team last year. They limped to a 3-9 and nine overall record. We've never seen an Urban Meyer team get dismantled the way they were exploited by the Clemson Tigers. I mean, from a speed perspective, Clemson exploited that secondary vertically. And when you look at the teams uh, that could challenge Ohio State, I mean, even week one with two wide receivers of Nick Westbrook and Simi Cobbs, they are minus three starters in that secondary, Lattimore, Conley, and Hooker that teams can take advantage of. And when you lose your leading tackler, Raquan McMillan, even though the front seven is legit with Bosa and Taquan Lewis, uh, that's a tall order for any secondary uh, to step up, especially week one. Yeah, no, listen, I, I, I love those Indiana receivers. They're, they're going to face McSorley down the road. They'll, they'll see Wilton Spade at the end of the year. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield, uh, we can't forget week two against the Sooners. But Ohio State, you know, even last year, last year there were a lot of new faces in the secondary, but they don't rebuild. They just retool year in and year out. So now there's an opportunity. Denzel Ward is someone who I think NFL scouts will take a long, hard look at. Didn't really, you know, wasn't a, an integral part of that secondary last year. Damon Webb will play a key role. Uh, Jordan Fuller, a former five-star recruit. You know, the, uh, Kendall Sheffield, uh, one-time Alabama uh, uh, player, went Juco, is now uh, in Columbus. So there's an abundance of talent. You do bring up an interesting point, though. I, I, I think... You know, that defensive staff, Greg Schiano and the assistants, I, I think they'd rather see, you know, some different opponents. I think they'd rather see the Army and the UNLV game in those first two weeks for that secondary to have a chance to gel. But instead, it's going to be Indiana. You mentioned those two receivers, Richard Lago behind center, and then Oklahoma in week two. So it's going to be a baptism by fire for that new secondary. Yeah, and when you mention the Indiana matchup, they've dominated the Hoosiers. They've won 22 straight games over Indiana by 20.5 points per game. So they've dominated that, that rivalry, per se. But here's the thing I look at as well. We're not mentioning the departure of Luke Fickle to become the head coach at Cincinnati. Does that have any effects? So now you lose a key member of that defensive staff, even though you have Shiano there, and now a new offensive coordinator with Kevin Wilson. And like mm -hmm. I've said, I've said this before, I mean, look at the departure of Tom Herman in terms of the progression with JT Barrett. I mean, when you have a new offensive coordinator, even though you have those weapons, it's a learning curve. And, and honestly, it could take a whole season to figure out, especially if Kevin 
Tevin Wilson is either more aggressive or less aggressive in critical third down yeah. situations for the Buckeyes. And, and I think, Joe, he's going to be more aggressive. I mean, I, I think that's going to be the mindset of the Buckeyes this year is to to attack more than they have in the future. I understand your point, but in terms of the offensive changes, I lean more in the direction of this is a major upgrade. You know, we, we talk about Kevin Wilson. Again, I think he's one of the better schemers, one of the better offensive minds. But also Ryan Day was brought in from the NFL to be the quarterback's coach. So now he has been sort of the offseason mentor for JT Barrett. All roads go through JT Barrett. I mean, if JT Barrett is mediocre, this is a team that's going to be vulnerable against the better opponents on the schedule. But if JT Barrett is able to approach what he was as a redshirt freshman, a dual threat, someone who was confident as a passer, uh, uh, stable as a runner, dangerous at times outside the pocket. If it's that kind of a player who can elevate those young receivers, then this is a team that is dangerous and has a legitimate shot of running the table. And when we talk about the inconsistency of JT Barrett, Rich, he still completed 61% of his passes for over 2,500 yards, 24 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. But it was in those critical ball games, like against Michigan State where they almost lost, and in the game against Michigan where you saw signs of him being vulnerable and not a solid leader uh, for that offense. And in order for this team to take the next step and make it back to the playoff, they're going to need JT Barrett to elevate his game and really become a better pocket passer than what we've seen. And with those losses in terms of the wide receiver position, I mean, uh, granted, we didn't think Noah Brown was a legitimate playmaker. He had four touchdowns uh, against Oklahoma, only had seven on the year. But when you lose that quarterback Back to wide receiver relationship, you're now asking a lot out of your senior quarterback, especially with the inexperience around him. Yeah, the, the one thing I'll say, though, is, I mean, those losses, Noah Brown had the big game against Oklahoma last year, then virtually disappeared over the second half of the season. You'd rather have him back. You'd rather have those receivers back. But the losses are not that substantial. So I, I, I don't think you're going from all Big Ten caliber receivers down to you know to, to players who have never uh, played before. So I think you're looking for the K.J. Hills, the Benjamin Victors, the Paris Campbells, those young receivers who haven't had to do it. they got to step up in 2007. Keep it where it is. When Rich and I come back, we'll take a look at the Penn State Nittany Lions. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on College Football Today, right here from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When we left off, Rich and I were talking about Urban Meyer and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Rich, I'm picking this team 8-4. and four. I think there's a possibility Ohio State could start the year 0-2, and, and we see a down year from Urban Meyer and the crew. Schedule-wise, the month of November uh, could prove very stiff competition for, the, for this team. Yeah, listen, Big Ten, it's always going to be a tough schedule. The Penn States, Michigan States, at Michigan in the big house this year. So the schedule is going to be difficult right from the outset. I don't see 8-4. and four. In fact, if you would be kind enough to give me an under-over on that, 
I would obviously accept that wager. You and got I would it. Go you got it. Three. We will definitely have that as it. throughout side the bet yes, me and my Lisa. friend. Yes, my friend. Right. We will definitely take care of that right after I'll the show. I'll go over nine. Okay. Yes, I love it. All right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I say been, eleven and one in Big Ten champs. You got it. Eleven and one Big Ten. I'm saying eight and four. We'll turn our attention to the Big Ten champs. James Franklin and mm-hmm. Penn State. I mean, what a turnaround! This team started two and two. Rich. They reeled off nine yeah. straight wins and really should have won the Rose Bowl. Double-digit lead over USC within the last five minutes. They gave way to Sam Darnold and the crew. Phenomenal Rose Bowl game for the ages. But when I look at this team, I really love the chemistry that James Franklin has built. Not just on the offensive side of the ball. This is a defense now that in the first seven games last year allowed 203 rushing yards on the ground in the last seven They held opposing offenses to 99 yards rushing. They can carry that through to the 2017 season. Here's what people have to keep in mind, Joe. We can get into the specifics of personnel and two deeps, and and obviously we'll do that. But I look at the 30,000-foot version of Penn State. At the end of the Joe Paterno era, and obviously Bill O'Brien inherited a lot of issues, both on-field and naturally off-field as well. At the end of the Paterno era, this was not a modern football program. Everything from preparation, analysis, recruiting, uh, player development, conditioning, they were behind the rest of the Big Ten. They were still surviving. It's it's Penn State. You know, you're, you're, it's linebacker you. You're getting quality players. James Franklin has made this a modern football program from top to bottom. He has better assistant coaches. The fact that they were able to retain Joe Moorhead as the offensive coordinator absolutely huge for this team so again Penn State Big Ten champs don't know if they'll repeat this year but this is a program as long as James is there it's a program that's trending in the right direction on the field and off the field so it's a good time to be a Nittany Lion you can't argue what James Franklin has built there I mean he's recruited top five talent in the state and outside the state a la Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh I mean he's done a fantastic job from the time he's gotten there but the one thing that I've seen his consistency now. He's built uh, this program from the ground up with his guys. I mean, Trace McSorley is a quarterback that eerily is similar to Jordan Rogers, who he had at Vanderbilt, a mobile quarterback that he built back-to-back nine and four seasons in Nashville. That's what allowed him to take that job in Happy Valley. So we're seeing the the residual effects of his recruits there. Uh, I, I think this team is the most complete team in the Big Ten, Rich. I really do. They have Saquon Barkley, they have Hamilton, but it really, to me, is the progression of Trace McSorley and his ability now to stretch defenses vertically, why I'm buying into this program and why I feel they're a a playoff team in 2017. The concerns that I have are on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, they could be top 10, top dozen in the country, but You need to get successors off the edge in terms of the pass rush. Garrett Sickles left early, bit of a surprise, certainly hurts the defense. Evan Schwan no longer uh, on the edge as well. And then losing John Reed out of the secondary, he could be back at some point this season, but an off-season injury, injury in the spring, Big, big hit for that secondary. Uh, You pull John Reed out of it. Now you have Marcus Allen who will be commandeering the secondary. I think there are some holes. I like the linebackers. 
led by Jason Cabinda, but up front and on the back end, Joe, I, I think they could struggle against better offenses in 2017. And that'll be whether Penn State makes it to the playoff. They need the defense to come around. But here's the thing I look at as well when I look at Penn State overall. I mean, this is a confident team now, Rich. I mean, two and two, they got blown out by Michigan yeah. in the big house. They allowed 326 rushing yards on the ground. But they got consistently better. And once they blocked that field goal attempt against Ohio State and pulled that victory out, I mean, they were hitting on all cylinders and really felt that they could play with any team in the conference and the country for that matter. You saw their dominating performance in the Big Ten Championship game and in the Rose Bowl. So I expect that to carry through because that's the one thing when I look at James Franklin, he fears no one as a head coach. Yeah, and again, this is all about momentum. I, I, I talked to Trace McSorley in March, and, and he said, you know, September, slow start. We didn't really know what we had this year, but when that light went on, everything began to click. And and what I like about McSorley is he's got a little bit of Daryl Amonica, a little bit of mad bomber in him. You know, this is somebody who's it's not a dinking and dunking. He is not afraid to take shots downfield. And by doing that, whether it's his receivers or tight end Mike Kosicki, when he could stretch the field the way he does, saw it in the Rose Bowl, it opens everything up for Saquon Barkley. And, and I'm going to offer that Barkley – or Darius Geis at LSU. One of those two is the two, is the best running back in the country, and I would give a thumbs up to Barkley at this point. Just a special kid on the field and off the field as well. We'll hold off on the Penn State talk. We'll talk about a team that I was always high on, Purdue. I've been a Purdue fan for years with guys like Mike Alstott and Corey Rogers, Rick Trefsker back in the day. But this is a team that was three and nine last year. They started three and two, lost seven straight games. Head coach Daryl Hazel did be, did get uh, let go, but there is optimism in West Lafayette. You look at Purdue, they did hire former Western Kentucky head coach Jeff Brom. He joins us today on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. Coach, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Good morning, guys. Coach, I mean, a fantastic job with Western Kentucky, which you did there in back-to-back Conference USA championships. Uh, you had a solid quarterback last year in Mike White and a, a running back in Anthony Wales. You now take over Purdue with a solid quarterback in David Blau, a running back in Markel Jones. Talk to me about the consistency of, a, of the running game. Only 96 yards on the ground last year. How much of, uh, of an impact will that have for your 2017 success in terms of offensive balance? Well, I think without question, we want to try to get the running game going. And I know some people may say we like to throw the ball around quite a bit, which which isn't a, a complete lie. But I think it, it is important to have balance, especially in the Big Ten Conference, especially uh, to take some pressure off the quarterback, to take some pressure off your defense. So uh, really, you know, looking at our team now, the running back position is probably one of our strengths. We have multiple guys we believe that can play for us. So we're going to try to make sure that those guys get touches, they get the ball in their hands, and that we really rebuild the offense around them. Coach, it's Rich Sermonello. Uh, at the end of last year, Joe and I were on the air. We talked about it. Obviously, you were one of the upwardly mobile coaches in the country what attracted you to Purdue? What, when you sat down with your family, when you thought about it, what about this university and this program really got you sort of geeked up for 2017? 
Well, I think uh, the fact that I am from the city of Louisville kind of had a familiarity with the history and tradition of Purdue football and the Big Ten brand uh, uh, was one thing. I think, uh, you know, Mike Babinski, the new athletic director, and Mitch Daniels, the president, and uh, those two guys, I think, uh, really convinced me that they were willing to do their part to try to get this thing turned around. I think if you look at uh, Purdue, there's a lot to sell, academic uh reputation is second to none really all the sports programs for the most part have been doing outstanding other than football and i think football has to to pick up the slack and for sure the challenge of trying to get that done uh when it hasn't been done here in a little bit of a while uh was something that was intriguing to me and i thought that uh, hey you know what let's uh I felt like we, we did a pretty good job at Western Kentucky. We'd won two championships in a row. I felt like we had a good team coming back. I really felt like we were in great shape at Western, no matter who was coach now, to, to take over and win for a couple of years. And let's, hey, let's, let's try to do something that's uh, a challenge. And I think, you know, as a, as a coach, you ask recruits to come in. And sometimes you ask the better ones to, to be a difference maker and to come in and, 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 and put their stamp on something instead of maybe going someplace where they've already achieved something. I think that's kind of what I want to try to do. Let's try to go into a program that needs some help, that needs some energy, that needs some uh, creativity and excitement and try to do my part to help uh, uh, get this program back to where it belongs. Coach, uh, the one thing I noticed about the team last year was inconsistency from week to week. I mean, one week they would show up and, and, and break through with a solid performance offensively and defensively. But the next week, the consistency wasn't there. How do you instill that consistency and an intensity level on both sides of the football? Well, you're very accurate. I think uh, when I've gone back and watched a lot of Big Ten video and, and Purdue from last year, for whatever reason, uh, it was visible that they really didn't play as hard as they needed to. And I think that's something that we've got to make sure we address. We're pounding it right now. But uh, we've got to get our guys to compete on every play. We've got to get them to play hard. We've got to make sure that when people leave the stands, they say, they're able to visibly uh, say, hey, you know what, that Purdue football team really gives great effort and they, and they, and they play to win. Uh, looking at video from last year, that didn't happen. So I think we've got a lot of work to do in that avenue. We, we've addressed uh, some of the problems, but we believe we've identified them. But I think when you look at the Big Ten, in my opinion, there's there's about three or four teams that are, you know, more the dominant teams that every year they, they have very good talent and they're up there at the very top. And really, a lot of the other teams, in my opinion, are very similar. I think it's just a matter of who's going to get their team to play hard, who's going to be competitive. You know, you look at a team uh, like Northwestern, those guys, you can tell they visibly play hard for Coach Fitzgerald. And we've got to make sure we're doing that. And I think if we can get our guys to believe themselves, uh, to play to win, if we can kind of give them a a decent strategy where they feel like they have a chance to win when they take the field. If we can really screw uh, things down and play extremely hard and give great effort the entire game, I think we can be in them. We'll, we'll keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonella. Back on College Football Today, right here from Studio 34, New York City. We have Purdue head coach Jeff Brom live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. Coach, you have a dynamic quarterback in David Blau. A little bit inconsistent last year, but he did throw for 25 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. What's the biggest progression that he needs to understand? Obviously, moving from a pocket system with Daryl Hazel last year to your system where you want him to get the football out in terms of timing, uh, you know, three seconds and out. 
Well, I think, uh, you know, we've got to do a great job as coaches putting them in a position to succeed. And really, I think uh, last year, if you watch uh, the video, I, I believe they threw the ball a whole lot. And I think a lot of pressure was on David to make plays and, and to do it the entire game. And we want to try to make sure we take a little bit of that pressure off of it, make sure we have a little more balance. Uh, we spread the wealth around. We don't ask him to do too much. I think that'll definitely help first and foremost. But I think uh, you know, David is a guy, he puts in uh, all the effort you want. He's a team player. He gives everything he has. He's a hard worker. You know, he's got to get better at, uh, you know, being consistent inside the pocket, uh, a little bit jumpy with his feet. I think he did get hit quite a bit last year, which we want to try to uh, prevent, but he's got to make sure he's strong in the pocket. He's able to step up. He doesn't get jumpy with his feet. And then, of course, the decision-making. You know, we can't have a, a ton of interceptions, and that's not all on him. It's on every single aspect of it uh, from all the rest of the players and, and maybe even some of the play calling. But we've got to make sure that we put him in a position to succeed. We get him completions. We get him comfortable. We move the pocket a little bit. We get him out where he can make plays and see things. He's not an extremely tall quarterback, so we got to make sure we get some lanes for him as well. So I think a lot of things come into this, uh, but he is a young man who wants to play well. He's going to give you everything he has, so we've got to make sure we take care of him at the quarterback position. You know, one position that I think will probably take care of him this year is is tight end coach. I, I think a lot of folks who didn't follow WKU may not realize just how much success you had in your tenure utilizing those tight ends on the hill. Talk a little bit about Cole and Bryson, the two tight ends that uh, that you've inherited in West Lafayette. Well, I believe if you want to have a great, consistent, balanced offense, the, the use of the tight ends is critical. And I think that, uh, you know, we're fortunate this year to have Cole Herman, Bryson Hopkins, uh, two guys that have some experience. Uh, they've got some size you want. They can run and catch the football. And we got to make sure that uh, we don't overplay them, but they're in the game a lot. And I think that they can give us a valuable weapon. They can stretch the field vertically. They can block when we need them to. I think, you know, if you can – the quarterback can have a guy that can control inside the hashes and get completions and get tough catches in traffic. It really opens a lot of things for you. So those are two guys we're going to lean on heavily. Uh, they were probably our most productive guys in the spring. Do they need to get a little more consistent? Yes, but I think they've worked extremely hard from spring until now. I think they're up for the challenge, and they know that really the success of our team will be dictated on the play of those two. Coach, we know you're going to have a wide-open, explosive offense. I mean, you've averaged 44 and 45 points per game at Western Kentucky. You're an unbelievable offensive mind and a great head coach. But with that up-tempo attack does come some stress on the defense. This is a defense now that last year uh, gave way in terms of run support, 235 rushing yards per game. How do you instill, I guess, a conditioning factor, obviously having to play more plays than their normally doing out there in terms of last year's offense how do you get them from a conditioning aspect up to where you need them to be uh, to have success on the football field well I think first uh, we'll make sure that uh, we'll run the pace that we need to to make sure we take care of uh, you know that side of the ball I I do believe that we have some defensive talent I think that uh, we've got some guys that have played there are certain positions I feel very good about I think the main thing that we're probably lacking is depth. And I think uh, when you talk about having a, a productive, consistent defense, nowadays in college football with the, the tempo of offenses and the amount of plays you have, 
you have to have depth. So that's probably the most concerning thing we have is maybe we don't quite have the depth that you want, that you're able to rotate guys in and out when guys are, are gassed and they can't go as hard as they want. You want to be able to rotate people in where they don't have to play out there. And if you can't, you're going to be in trouble. And I think sometimes if you're not doing that, it may not show in the first half, but in the second half it's going to, it's going to bite you in the rear end. So we've got to continue to build depth. Uh, without question, we got to get in great shape. I do think we're doing that, but to a certain degree, you know, those defensive linemen, those guys that are playing in the trenches, they cannot play every play. It doesn't matter where you're at. You've got to have guys to rotate in there uh, to give them breathers. So we've got to build the depth. We've got to force the issue. We've got to make sure our young guys are getting better and they're playing. And and in that way, if we can have you know at least two deep at the uh, defensive line position. Um, you know, I really think that'll help us in the long term. But I do feel confident that our defense, uh, from what I've seen at this point, if we keep certain guys healthy, can play uh, productive football for us. Coach, I, I, I've been around coaches my whole life. I know you guys never look too far ahead. Every game matters exactly the same. I understand all of that. But it, there has to be something a little bit poetic for you about that opener against all, your alma mater, right? Well, well, you know what? Without it's 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 uh, we're excited about it. You know, would, would I like to play him one year later without Lamar Jackson? Probably so. But <laughs> you know what? It is what it is. I think that uh, you know we we can see like everyone else, whether you watch him on TV or on video, that guy's a special player. You know, he's just a, an incredible athlete that's playing the quarterback position, and what makes it scary is the balls in his hand every play. And a lot of people can't tackle him, and it doesn't matter how many people you have around him, he. He's got that athletic ability to, to get away and to make plays. So that's going to be the number one issue is how can we contain him? How can we um, slow him down to a certain degree? You're never going to really stop him. But we've got to make sure he just doesn't single-handedly beat us. And that's going to be the, the stress for us is just to really to, to focus in and lock in on him. Uh, he's a special player. Do they have great players around him? Sure they do. And, and are they well coached? Yes, without question. And they've proven that. Last year they had a great season, and they went toe-to-toe with Clemson. They put it to Florida State. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a very good challenge for us right off the gate. I think the good thing about it is I think it's going to tell us right off the bat where we're at, how far we have to come, what we have to improve upon. But I think any time you play a, a top-notch first quality football game it's exciting for the fans it's great for the coaches and players because it makes you prepare that much harder because you don't want to get embarrassed on tv and you understand the importance of playing great competition and you know with our game it's on fox uh, prime time on, on a saturday night so we've got to make sure that we're ready to go game one coach i know you're the guy to turn around the program to bring back the respectability to the days of course of drew Brees, vinnie sutherland and of course montrell Lowe at the running back position great information today we wish you the best in the 2017 season and we hope you enjoyed it okay thanks for having me guys that's Purdue head coach Jeff Brom. Rich, just great information. I mean, I, I just love yeah. hearing his intensity. And he really stepped up and said what his team needs to do in order to have success in the Big Ten Conference this year. Yeah, he talked about depth. He talked about conditioning. This is, uh, this is a blocking and tackling type of a rebuilding program. This is not just fill in one piece here, one piece there. 
Uh, Danny Hope couldn't do it. We talked about Daryl Hazel couldn't do it. But I, I agree with you. you I, I, I love his perspective. I think he's patient. He's a tremendous offensive mind. It's going to take a while before he could build the talent up, get the fan base excited. They've had some problems at the turnstiles in terms of attendance. So this is a this is an entirely holistic approach. But I think Jeff Brom, give him some time. Once they start getting back to bowl games, I think there will be some enthusiasm and excitement, and he'll be able to recruit a better caliber of player. Well, one thing's for certain. They will be much more explosive on the offensive side of the ball and entertaining. They will score points. That Make no mistake about it. Purdue will find a way to get into the end zone. Now, defensively is where I have concerns for this team, but you heard him say it. It's a depth issue. It's going to take a couple of years, and we've seen coaches at yeah. other programs, a la Charlie strong it takes a while and you obviously Purdue is, is going to have uh, I want to say time they're going to sit back and allow Jeff Brom to get his guys when you look at Texas and Charlie Strong they the leash was not long for his tenure there and it's unfortunate mm-hmm. because rebuilding usually takes four to five years in order to see the rewards on the field you know what? One point I'd real quickly I wanted to bring up. I love what he said about Northwestern. The point being that you don't necessarily have to have Michigan or Ohio State type talent to be competitive. The Wisconsin's, the Iowa's, the Minnesota's, the Northwesterns, they've all played above their talent level. And I think that's what coach wants to get Purdue to. It is. And it, you, know, you know what it is too, Rich? It's the state of college football. Every team across the landscape thinks they can compete for a national championship. And it's the win now, but mentality that they want to see the rewards immediately and it just doesn't play out that way especially out of a school where uh, in West Lafayette and Purdue because they're going up against teams like Penn State Michigan and Ohio State and even Michigan State within the conference in terms of recruiting yeah I, I listen I think if you're Jeff Brom and you're Purdue you're in a lot better situation than if you're in Indiana, if you're at Maryland, if you're at Rutgers, because you're outside of the Big Ten East. And, and, and if there's a chance to get exposure, possibly play in a Big Ten title game down the road, you've got a far better shot of doing it out of the West than you would in the East. Oh, we're just getting started. We'll come back. We'll be talking Big Ten East. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on College Football Today from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, breaking down the Big Ten East. We talked Purdue, we talked Ohio State, we talked a little Penn State, Rich. I do want to touch on Michigan State last year with Mark D'Antonio. This is a team from 2013 through 15 that was plus 46 in turnover margin. Last year, they were negative for the first time since 2009. And you look at the defensive front seven that only recorded 11 total sacks through 12 games. I think D'Antonio can get them to 7-5, and five, but it's still a tall order to get this team back to the playoff. Yeah, the issues here uh, extend beyond personnel, Joe. As you know, there have been a spate of off-season, uh, off-field problems, some serious stuff involving 
uh, sexual assault that has really dogged this program. And I, I, I kind of feel bad for Mark D'Antonio because for the longest time, this was one of the top coaches in the country, really ran a first-rate program. Now they've begun to have problems. It's spiraling. It seems at times almost out of control, so there are loss of bodies. There's a pall cast over this program. There are questions on both sides of the ball. They lost a ton of starters. So, listen, I, I think if you can get them back to a bowl game, start to move beyond the controversy, get the bad seeds out of the program, that's progress. But this is a year after they slip below 500 where I think they tread water around 6-6 six and six and fall further behind. That's the other thing to keep in mind, too. Right in state is Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, and they're falling further behind the Wolverines. They are, and obviously when you look at this team, they did have their offensive challenges. I mean, a big loss for their offense was four-year starter Connor Cook that really stepped up in key critical situations for that team. They didn't have a legitimate passing attack to stretch teams vertically. Really relied on the running attack with LJ Scott. I, I Again, I think this team is handcuffed again offensively. They're going to need to run the football to have success and, and wear down teams. The one, uh, I want to say characteristic of this defense though, they allowed four opponents to rush for over 200 yards last year, and when you couple with the sack total, when you can't generate a pass rush and can't shut down the run effectively, you're not going to win a lot of games, especially in the Big Ten. Yeah, there's no question about it. And and that was the personality of this program for so many years. When they had that string of 10-plus win seasons, you had those dominant offensive linemen, those dominant defensive linemen, those former uh, two-star players like a Darquez Denard come out of the secondary and evolve into a high NFL draft choice. Listen, I, I think D'Antonio is the right guy, maybe the only guy to turn things around. So uh, people in East Lansing have to still be patient. Give this guy a shot. You're not going to go outside the program and find someone better to right the ship. But I just don't see the pathway. You mentioned L.J. Scott. Beyond an L.J. Scott, a uh, couple of players defensively like Chris Fry. There's not a lot of exceptional all Big Ten type talent this year, Joe. So I, I think this is a middle of the pack Big Ten East team. And then you start to look ahead possibly towards 2018 for some real success and real gains. Yeah, and they lost to Indiana last year. So, I mean, uh, with Tom Allen now in Indiana, I mean, he has a core of offensive talent that could really maybe challenge Michigan State for the fourth, uh, I want to say, position within the division. And if that happens, uh, we might see Mark D'Antonio on the on the hot seat. I mean, I think it could be a possibility now, especially with the negativity yeah. surrounding the program. I think it's something that needs to be discussed. Uh, I, I know it's sacrilege for some people, but in light of what is taking place, yeah, I, I think that is a possibility. I still go back to the fact that he is the best man to turn things around, knows this program, he's a disciplinarian, things have gotten out of control. This is a big year. This is a big year, not just on the field, but off the field in Michigan State. Keep it well. where keep it where it is. When we come back, we'll be joined by Akron head coach Terry Bowden, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. 
Back on the second hour of college football today, right here from Studio 34 in New York City. Six years ago, Akron was one of the worst, the worst college football program in FBS. But my good friend Terry Bowden took over the program, led the team to an 8-5 record two years ago, their first bowl win in FBS history for the program. He joins us on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. I want to welcome in Akron head coach Terry Bowden. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Joe, thanks for having me. Always great to talk to you about football. Coach, you did a fantastic job in turning around the program six years ago. Uh, last year, you got off to a 4-2 and two overall record, but the health of uh, your quarterback, Tommy Woodson, did get injured for much of the second half of the year. You finished at 5-7. and seven. You lost your running back, Warren Ball, but he comes back for a sixth year of eligibility. How big of an addition is he to your offense, and more importantly, the 2017 success for the Zips? Oh, Joe, I mean, it's it, it, the running back position is, is so critical. You know, I mean, last year we had seven starters that we lost for the entire year. Maybe maybe Warren Ball was one, one, one of the toughest losses. We lost him in the second game with a broken leg against Wisconsin uh, and in the quarterback situation. But with Tommy Woodson still working to get back in shape to play, he had shoulder surgery after the season our quarterback did. He's just now getting back to throwing in the two weeks before the season begins. Uh, we do have some great competition at that, that position. But with our top three running cutbacks coming back, of course, Warren Ball, Van Edwards, uh, and Manny, uh, Manny Morgan, you've got the strength of your four out of our five offensive linemen. How important will it be for us to be able to run that football and take some of the pressure off of a quarterback having to go out there and, and, and win ball games by himself or with his throwing arm? Hey, Coach, Rich Sermonello. Uh, I've always been impressed over yep. the years, going back to the Auburn days, uh, of your right. ability to recruit. Uh, what is your pitch as the Akron Zips head coach when you're in a, in a potential recruit's house? Well, you know, it, it's changed because when I got to Akron, it was a, Akron had its, own, had its own situation. It wasn't Auburn. It wasn't Sanford or some of the other schools I've coached. Akron was, at, as Joe said at the beginning of the, of the hour, it, it was at a very, very bad place. We were not winning any ball games. 1-11, I mean, 1-10, 1-11, 1-11, uh, statistically the lowest in the country. And, I don't, and we couldn't attract guys with what we had done. Akron had never won eight games in a season and never won a bowl game in 30 years of 1A football. So we had to sell guys on, hey, come here and help us build it. Help us make this the program uh, that goes to its first bowl. that competes for MAC championships. And so you, you sell that, you know. Uh, you may have some transfers that come and sell them an opportunity to be a part of a, a coaching staff that's put some guys in the NFL. A coaching staff with Chuck Amato, who's had probably as many defensive players in the NFL as anybody in the business today, you know. And I've had a bunch myself. And so you, think, so you sell those things about what those players can do for your team. But the best players in the country, they want to play for teams that play for championships. They, they want to go be a part of somebody that's already proven. So that's what we had to do. That's what we had to do. Now, in my mind, we're about halfway there. We're, we're halfway there. We're winning five, seven games a year going to bowl game. But the ultimate place to go is to, is to play for that conference championship. Well, we're now competing for conference championships. But now they're going out there, and that's what attracts the best players. So the selling point right now is come be a part of the MAC, come out here and play for a championship, brand new stadium, brand new indoor facility, uh, and play for a MAC championship. Uh, but also have a coaching staff uh, that can develop you over the next four or five years to put you in the best position to play on Sundays 
if your talent dictates. Coach, we're headed to break. We're going to keep you on the line. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello okay. on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Today from Studio 34, we're live with Akron head coach Terry Bowden. He's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. Coach, over the last six years, you really haven't shied away from top competition. You played teams like Michigan and Tennessee, Penn State, Wisconsin. How important were those matchups in developing the mental resolve of your team, especially as they move along into MAC conference play? Well, I mean, um, Joe, that's kind of the, 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 the MO in the Mid-American Conference. Most all of our teams will schedule a major uh, Power Five conference team, and we, and we do it as much for the financial gain as anything. We, we, you know, our, our, our conference is, is, I would say, frugal in a lot of ways. And we, we make a lot of money. We, you know, anytime you can play a team that has a stadium of over 100,000 people, and we've played those teams in the last five or six years. Well, number one, it supplements your your your, your budget, and that's that, and that's important. That's a reality of the Mid American Conference because these teams are, are quite often favored, and they only play you at their place. But the other part is okay. Now that you got them, what are you going to do with it? Well, just think of how how motivating that is in in, in the summer. Motivating that is in preseason practice. A lineup on first game of the year, we're going to go to Penn State, play on national television, ABC Sports, national television. And, uh, and so that's, that's hugely motivating for our football team. Uh, and, and you go out there and who knows? There, there are days that you can knock them off. There's a chance to knock somebody off. Uh, a few years ago, we, we about knocked off Michigan that was, uh, in the top 10 when we played them a few years ago. But you go in there and you're really going there just excited about playing. And then maybe the other thing, I think if you're involved with college athletics like I've been for all my life, the, the experience these young men get going into a, a, a community like that, a football environment like that, and having that on their resume or in their memories, that it's, it's a special day uh, for them to go out there and get that kind of environment. Coach, when you're together with family, Dad, Bobby, uh-huh. your brother, uh, Tommy, I, I, when you guys aren't talking about football, what, what do you guys like to talk about? What, what goes on in the Bowden household outside of football conversations? Well, we're, we're very family-oriented. I think we, we just got back from spending a week together down in Florida at, uh, at July 4th week. And, you know, football is always there. Jeff, my brother Jeff, is on my staff, so the two of us are the only ones still coaching. The others are retired, but doing a lot of speaking around the country. But other than that, it's, it's like anybody else. It's family stuff. It's family stuff. There's a little bit of politics, and I wouldn't begin to get on this, this, this program and say what kind of politics or where we are, but we talk a little bit of politics, but we also have a family that's very strong in our faith, and we talk a lot about what, what that means to our lives and where we are there. Uh, we've got now, gosh, 20, we had 47 people there. That's my mother and father, six children, six spouses, uh, 20 grandchildren, eight or nine great-grandchildren. It was a big, big environment, but we have a lot of fun like a lot of families. We're a very close family, Football, but football dominates the talk most of the time. Coach, when, when you look at your receiving core, you lose JoJo Nelson, you lose Jerome uh, Lane, your top two leading wide receivers, but you have some depth behind them, led by Austin Wolf. Really felt that he progressed as a receiver last year. Give me your thoughts about the receiving core heading into, into the 2017 season. 
Well, you know what, Joe? You know, we've lost two big playmakers. And that, that's very productive. JoJo Natson and Jerome Lane, uh, both are right now, right now in the NFL. Uh, both uh, were, were, they produced a lot of points. And, and I don't know that we can have guys better than those two guys lined about it. We've got, we've got a bunch of guys, and I know some young ones are going to emerge and be the next JoJo or the next Jerome. And uh, uh, Austin Wolf probably has got the leading experience coming back. A.J. Coney, who played a big role for us last year, they're coming back. Uh, Trayvon Chapman moved from quarterback out to wide receiver, doing well there. But they will step out. But I said this before, I want our, our offense now to maybe rely some more on the running game. Running game and, and, and the offensive line in the running game and the running backs, as as one of those quarterbacks, as one of those receivers, or two of those receivers emerge, because we don't have, it's like when we lost to Javis Brown at linebacker, you really don't replace that talent. Uh, you just have to have other people step up. Coach, we talked about Tommy Woodson and the shoulder problems last year. Can you give us an update as to his health and what your expectations are for that opener against Penn State in terms of his availability? Well, we, 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 that's going to be the, the interesting part of preseason. Tommy Woodson had shoulder surgery. He, he was he pretty much after he got hurt in the Western Michigan game, he really never came back and played a full game. Ball State was the only game he could play, but he never could come back and play a game very well after that. Uh, but he's had surgery, and it, and it really fixed his problem. He's been, he's been rehabbing it and starting to throw more and more. So he'll, be, he'll be full go in preseason. But we've got some people who transferred in. Nick Johns transferred in from the University of Virginia. He went to a junior college for one semester. He transferred in to compete with, with Cato Nelson. And then we just got Robbie Kelly who transferred in. So it's an interesting uh, quarterback in Robbie Kelly, who was a starter at, at, uh, at uh, I think it was Quincy University in, in Illinois and threw for a ton of yards, but he has big-time ability. And he's amazing. It was an amazing quarterback. And so what that does is give you some outstanding talent to compete. I think we've got to let those things compete. If Tommy can get his health back, I'm sure Tommy will be right there number one. But I think I've got some other guys that will be very, very good. We've got to, we got to, we got to work that thing out through our non-conference schedule. Coach, I know you're out, uh, out on the road. I don't want to keep you any longer. It's been gr- great information. You return 15 total starters to the team, eight on offense, seven on defense. I know you're going to do a fantastic job with this ball club. Really excited to see them play in person. We hope you enjoyed it today. Thank you, Joe. I really enjoyed it. Come back all anytime. That's current Akron head coach Terry Bowden, five and seven last year, but I know coach is going to turn it around. They were four and two, Rich, uh, at the start of the season, and Tommy Woodson did go down. Otherwise, they would have been bowl eligible. There's not a doubt in my mind. They really uh, struggled to stretch teams vertically, and now they play Penn State week number one. They were neck and neck with the Nittany Lions in Happy Valley. I was on the sidelines in that game. It was a seven to three ball game at halftime. And Jesse James did catch a touchdown pass from Christian Hackenberg to allow Penn State to prevail at home 21 to three. But I can guarantee you Akron will be up and ready for this ball game. Yeah, I like the confidence that the coach showed about his quarterback situation. Ideally, you have a healthy Woodson. We saw what he could do last year and in prior years. But, uh, you know, Nick Johns is an interesting kid. Didn't know much about Kelly, but you could just hear the excitement in the coach's voice in terms of the depth. Better level of depth. I think he has more confidence 
down the roster, down the bench at that position than he did a year ago. Yeah, it's incredible. I can tell you this. I've been on the sidelines. He's an offensive genius in, in terms of his ability to coach up talent. I mean, especially at the quarterback position. A lot goes unnoticed in terms of some of the quarterbacks that he coached up back in the day. Stan White, Patrick Nix at Auburn. I mean, they were solid quarterbacks that made smart decisions. And when you have a, a quarterback that does not turn the ball over, you're going to win some ball games and in the match. He's done that. Well, and especially if he is leaning more on the run this year, getting Warren Ball for a sixth uh, season is huge. I like what Van Edwards brings to the offense. And again, it's all balance, balance, balance. If you get more from the running game, regardless of who is taking snaps, they're going to be in a better position to be successful, particularly on play action. Well, we'll turn our attention, Rich. We started talking about Penn State. I want to go back to them right now because I really feel that this is the most complete team in the conference. I really think they they finished the year in the regular season, 10-2 and two overall. I think they face, I'm, I'm going to give a surprise team in the West. I'm not going to mention it yet, but I do feel that they are the most complete team and become bowl, uh, uh, playoff eligible at the end of the year. Uh, I want to get your thoughts about whether you feel this team has what it takes to win it all yeah i i I think they absolutely have the potential to repeat it certainly helps uh that they have the confidence after beating ohio state last year uh to face the buckeyes again this year it'll be in the horseshoe it'll be in columbus but listen offensively offensive coordinator joe moorhead the the skill position players with mcsorley barkley gasicki at tight end uh, Juwan Johnson, the wide receiver, everyone that I've spoken to this offseason, whether it's beat writers or scouts, love the potential of Juwan Johnson as that big play kid to replace Chris Godwin on the outside. Uh, beyond all of that, though, offensive line. I mean, you remember during the Hackenberg years, offensive line, he was getting pounded week in and week out. They finally have some depth and have some experience. So offensively they'll be fine let's see what the defense can do i don't think they repeat this year because of the defensive play but certainly they're going to be in the mix well james franklin's always been known as a bend but don't break type of defense and that's what penn state was a critical critical junctures last year the one thing when you mentioned the offensive line over the last couple of years prior to last year they allowed 44 and 39 total sacks as a unit one of the worst in college football with christian hackenberg we'll take a break when we come back john uh, jansen will join us we'll be talking michigan keep it where it is this is joe lisi rich sermonello on the fantasy sports radio network Back on College Football today, right here from Studio 34, New York City. We just spoke to Akron head coach Terry Bowden. We do have Michigan John Jansen coming on, the voice from IMG, in about 10 minutes. But Rich and I were breaking down the Big Ten East. I want to get right into it. I have Penn State as the top team in the conference, Rich, 10-2, and two, followed by Michigan at 9-3, and three, Ohio State at 8-4. and four. I do have Michigan State bowl eligible at 7-5, and five, Indiana. I don't think they rebound, get back to a bowl. I have them at 5-7. and seven. Maryland disappoints. I think they over-exceeded expectations. Didn't beat a team with a winning record last year. I think they're in the area of 4-8 and eight overall. And I do have Rutgers dead last in the conference, 
two and ten uh, to end out 2017. Yeah, nothing more predictable these days than the results of the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I, I like Ohio State, Penn State close second, uh, Michigan third. Uh, I, I won't detail everyone. I'll just say that I think Indiana has a chance to be a surprise. I like Tom Allen. I like his mindset. I think the players are going to gravitate to him more than they did with Kevin Wilson. And he inherits a much better situation than Wilson did five, six years ago. Some good defensive talent led by Tegray Scales, Richard Fant uh, in the secondary, and those receivers that we talked about. So fly in the ointment, potential real problem for Big Ten East teams, I think, is going to be the Hoosiers this year. Yeah, we could stay with them for a couple of minutes because I want to bring up a point. I want to get your take on it. I mean, uh, Tom Allen, a defensive coordinator, really turned around that program for Indiana. Again, a, a defense that be- stepped up at times was able to shut down opposing offenses within the conference. He now takes over as the head coach. He coached them in the bowl game, the loss to Utah. They played very well on both sides of the ball, almost won that ball game. But now we see another defensive coordinator taking over the reins as head coach, a la Pat Narduzzi, a la Bo Pelini, a la Bob Stoops. And we've seen this where all of a sudden the defense doesn't become, a, 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 I want to say, a priority anymore, and they give way to offensive ingenuity. Can you see that happening with this team uh, in Bloomington? I think, I think this hire works well for Indiana simply because they've struggled for so long on the defensive side of the ball. Allen, you mentioned it, began to initiate a turnaround last year. This was a much stingier defensive unit than we have seen in Bloomington in a number of years. That kind of a mindset, that Bill Mallory kind of a mindset, I think will sell well for Indiana. Now he's going to have to, you know, the offense is going to be in the hands of the offensive staff, and he's fortunate to have a returning starting quarterback. We mentioned Nick Westbrook on the outside. Simi Cobbs could be the best Big Ten wide receiver. He misses last season. Now he comes back to join Westbrook. So I think they're in good shape offensively, defensively where Tom Allen will have his fingerprints on it. I think that combination leads this team back into the postseason and gives Allen an opportunity to carry some momentum into 2018. Well, it'll start on August 31st against Urban Meyer and Ohio State. If somehow, some way, they can knock off the Buckeyes to really kickstart their season, this could be a surprise mm-hmm. team, I want to say, within the conference. When you look at Rutgers overall, Rich, I mean, they do get Kyle Bolin, Louisville quarterback. That's a prototypical dropback passer. Should make them a little more explosive offensively. They also get Miami trans for running back Gus Edwards. But when you look at this team overall against the better teams in the division, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, they lost those games by a total score of 224 to nothing. This is a major rebuild for Chris Ash. I mean, I I think both of us don't think it's going to be a quick fix in the next couple of years. No, I, I think he's the right coach. He's very well respected in Big Ten circles. He's uh, He has a lot of potential as a recruiter. I have no problems with Chris Ash. I just think he's walking into a landmine type of a situation. You and I know the Rutgers program and the terrain very well. If you can't keep four- and five-star recruits within the Garden State, 
you know, your ability to compete in the Big Ten East is going to be limited, and that, that's the problem for Rutgers. I understand the move to the Big Ten. Uh, impossible to argue with it from a financial perspective, but from a, com- a competitive standpoint, I just don't see Rutgers over the long haul competing with those top-tier teams, especially now that Penn State is heading where it is. Uh, you know, Going up against the Harbaugh's, the Myers, the James Franklin's, uh, that could be career suicide down the road for Chris Ash. Well, the one thing that Rutgers needs to do is they need to keep the in-state talent, guys like Jabril Peppers, guys like Rashawn Gary from Bergen County, Paramus Catholic that went to the University of Michigan. What better way to talk Wolverines football than with a former big-time player for the university? He joins us on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. Want to welcome in former Michigan offensive lineman and current IMG Michigan college football analyst John Jansen. John, how are you today? I'm doing great, fellas. It's good to hear from you guys. John, a lot of uh, optimism heading into the 2017 season with Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. They have a solid quarterback in Wilton Spate, but major losses on the offensive side of the ball with uh, your leading rusher, uh, Smith, gone. You lose Chesson and Darbo and, of course, tight end Jake Butt. But talk to me about the losses on the defensive side of the ball, especially Jabril Peppers that moves on to the NFL. Does this team have what it takes to get back uh, to a possible Big Ten title and, more importantly, playoff appearance? Uh, yeah, I, I I do, and and you know you mentioned uh, yeah we did lose some talent on offense, but uh, you know we lost ten starters on defense, um, and when you whenever you lose that, it's not just that you lose the talent because at Michigan we've got a lot of talent, we've got a lot of guys that especially in the last couple of recruiting classes that are very good players and they come in with a lot of talent, but what you lose is the experience, you lose the leadership of, uh, of some of those seniors uh, and juniors, so that's really where some other guys are going to have to step up because we're going to have guys like, uh, you know, Tyree Cannell and uh, Kalik Hudson is going to t- try and take over uh, Jabril Pepper's spot. And, uh, there's David Long in the secondary, Lavert Hill. We- we've got guys with talent, uh, but the only returner over there is-, is Mike McCray, and he's a linebacker. So it'll be interesting to see how those guys gel during training camp. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, they're going to be tested early on. Um, against Florida uh, in the opener in uh, in Arlington, Texas. So um, you know it, they'll they'll have to gel quick, or or we'll see what um, what kind of holes or or, or problems that they're going to have. Hey, John, Rich Sermonello, I, I want to get just a little granular with you away from the depth chart. Every time I talk about Michigan football with analysts or scouts, they talk about uh, how the program has changed in terms of preparation development scouting analytics a lot of those things that fans may not be aware of can you just sort of touch on that a little bit how this staff has been able to kind of find those hidden advantages other over other programs well you know when you bring jim harbaugh in and you bring in a bunch of guys that were were nfl coaches you know jim played in the nfl for a long time and 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 coached in the nfl um for four years and and uh, you know, a lot of the staff was either with him at San Francisco or uh, um, have been brought in um, as NFL coaches. And the, the, the difference is that NFL coaches are very, uh, I don't know how best to say it, but, um, you know, and, and you kind of hit it on the head, analytical in terms of 
they love to see numbers. They love to see a breakdown of uh, personnel groups and, and the amount of times that they use them and, and how they use them and where on the field, what hash, all of those different things that, yeah, a, every coach looks at them, but NFL coaches are very focused because in, in the NFL that you've got staffs that, you know, uh, the scouting staff, which, you know, you've got guys all around the country that are sending you information on college players or, or guys that are potential free agents or undrafted guys or, you know, whatever it might be. And then you also have your in-house scouts and you've got scouts that are scouting you know, other teams, offenses, defense, you, you get all this information. And I think Jim has brought a lot of that to the college ranks. And you're limited somewhat by the NCAA in terms of how many people you can have working with the program. But just like Alabama and Nick Saban has done there, Urban Meyer at Ohio State, a lot of these programs are finding not, not, not necessarily ways around the rules, but loopholes, things that are, are legal to be able to bring in and increase the number of staff that you have so that you can break down those numbers and get them into usable uh, facts for the coaches. And then they can go ahead, the coaches can take those facts, take those numbers, and implement them into their game plan. What are they going to do when they're on the 20-yard line going in on the right hash? What is what is this defense like to do? Um, when they're looking at, at recruits, you know, what is – where is this guy most potent from? Where does he score his touchdowns from? What, you know, how does this offensive or defensive lineman finish plays? All of those things are now in front of the coach, and they're still going to watch film, but it allows them to focus in on a need that they may have and, and try and look at some of the players and, and get through the clutter without having to spend too much time. John, you bring up great points about what Jim Harbaugh has done in terms of analytics and in terms of breaking down game plans. And I think when you look at uh, Michigan overall last year, uh, it was very simple in terms of their losses. They lost three ball games last year to Iowa, Ohio State, and Florida State by a total of six points. But in each of those ball games, they allowed over a hundred yards rushing. And they failed to rush for 100 yards. So I want to get your thoughts about that. Uh, we're heading to break right now, so but I do want to bring you back on the back end to, to bring up uh, y- your thoughts about that in terms of what they have to do uh, for the 2017 season to have success on the football field. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Michigan offensive lineman John Jansen. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. on College Football Today, right here from Studio 34, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We're talking to former Michigan offensive lineman John Jansen. He's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line. John, I was bringing up the MO of Michigan. They held 8 of 13 opponents last year to under 100 yards rushing, but in their three losses, they allowed those opposing offenses to pound the rock for over 100 yards. How big of a factor is that in terms of take this team taking the next step to winning a Big Ten title, in your opinion? Well, the next step has got to be 
you know, you're never going to go anywhere unless you're good up front on both sides of the ball. Now, defensively, we were very good up front last year. And in those games where they gave up more than 100 yards rushing, it, the fact of the matter was the, other, the opponent's team kept getting the ball in positive situations. And, and that was because Michigan's offense couldn't get first downs on the ground. They couldn't drain the clock down. They, they just weren't able to possess the football. And if you look at the Iowa game, you look at the Ohio State game, um, and, and not so much the Florida State game because that, that one was a 60-minute issue that, that they, they just didn't handle well. But in those other two games, Michigan could not get a first down when they had to have it. They couldn't, you know, they, against Iowa, they had the ball, they had the lead with under two minutes to go, and they get a couple of first downs on the ground. The, the, the clock runs out, and we don't have to watch the, the Hawkeye fans rush the field. And the whole thing about the playoffs is a completely different story. Same thing with, with Ohio State. Ohio State, we had the ball down on the one-yard line, first and goal, and we didn't get it in. We actually ended up fumbling the ball. Those are points that you have to have, and I don't care what the hit. We've got great history of offensive linemen here at Michigan, and, and and you know capitalizing on those opportunities. It doesn't matter what program you're from, but if you got the ball on the on the on the one yard line, first and goal in a big game, you better be able to put it in, and you better be able to rush it in. So that's that's those are some of the things that that Michigan needs to improve on, and I think that they have that opportunity. You know, when you look at their their defensive line. The four guys that we're going to have starting up front, Chase Winovich, Brian Monet, Rashawn Gary, you guys know him very well, Mo Hurst, um, that's a very good front four. And, and what we're going to struggle with is that we don't have as much depth as last year. We're going to be very good in, in, in speed um, up front, but we don't have as much depth as we had. And then on offense, I was very pleased in the spring game to see our offensive line Gel is a unit. We've got some some young guys on uh, on there. Michael Onwenu, a, a big kid out of Detroit. He goes about 360 pounds and played both ways last year. But they really got him focused on the offensive line, and I think he's going to be a good player that can step in there at a guard position. Cesar Ruiz, an early enrollee out of the IMG Academy in Florida, um, I think is going to be uh, a big time contributor this year. Ben Bredesen, who was a true freshman, started all of last year, played well. Mason Cole, who's the anchor of that offensive line, I'm I'm hoping he's played left tackle and played center. I'm hoping they can keep him at center because he's going to be the fifth-year guy up there. He's going to be able to get both of those sides glued together and going in the right direction. And, and, and I think at right tackle, you're going to have John Runyon Jr. Um, I played with his dad, um, and I was extremely happy to see how he played in the, uh, in the spring game. Uh, very sound. Good placement of hands, helmet, good steps. So uh, there's there's some positives that we have in, in both fronts. So it's it's just going to be a matter of can they, when it comes down to it, and they get the ball with the lead in the fourth quarter, what did they learn from last year? Are they going to be able to get that first down on the ground? Are they going to be able to keep the other offense off the field just in, in, in terms of possessing the football? That's going to be the challenge that they're going to face. John, as uh, one of those former star offensive lineman in Ann Arbor. How would you block Rashawn Gary? Oh, uh, Rashawn Gary, I tell you what, um, he's a guy, um, and I played against uh, Julius Peppers. I played against uh, Javon Kurse. I played against um, uh, Kevin Green, um, Reggie White, and he's kind of got some of all those guys in his game. And the only way he, – he, 
if you get him in space, you allow him to be in space. If I set back on a seven-step drop, which sometimes you're going to have to, you give him every advantage because, one, he gets to – he's running forward, I'm running back. He's running a lot faster than I am, and i got to try and stop him on a dime. Not easy to do. And if you do that, all of a sudden now the difference between Rashawn Gary and a lot of other rushers is they've got to move off a move. So if he goes to the bull and you shut him down, right now he's got another move. So I, for me, I've got to jump him. I've got if I can touch him, if I you know if I'm in my stance and I think I can reach out my arm and touch him in any shape or form, even if I got to stretch a little bit, I'm going to set him right on the line of scrimmage, try and hit him in the mouth and slow him down right away. And it's the same thing in run blocking. I want to get my hands on him. I want to explode through his numbers so that he cannot move. He doesn't have time to react. He doesn't have time to to use all that athleticism that he has been given by God. And uh, I tell you what, if he gets a chance to use it, 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 it he's very, very dangerous. John, it's been great information today. Uh, I know we're going to be talking to you throughout the season. I mean, it, just great expectations for Jim Harbaugh and this team. We hope you enjoyed it today. Oh, I always enjoy talking football, especially Michigan football or Big Ten football. So you guys give me a shout anytime and uh, look forward to talking to you here in the future. That was former Michigan offensive lineman John Jensen talking about what the Wolverines have to do in order to take the step to to a possible Big Ten title. I mean, you know Jim Harbaugh, Rich, is chomping at the bit, you know, no matter where they are in the season for that November matchup with our tribal Ohio State. But in my opinion, they're going to need to stretch defenses vertically with the arm of Wilton Spate, and we'll see if they could do it this year. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, he, he recruits exceedingly well. Someone like Donovan Peoples-Jones is a you know a five-star recruit, played well in the spring. He's one of those receivers who might have a chance to contribute right away. But you look at the personality of Jim, his ability to recruit, the expectations. I know there are a lot of new starters, but I'd be shocked, Joe, if by the second half of this season, uh, this is a team that's not playing at a top 10 level. So, you know, we talked about Rashawn Gary. Love the breakdown of John Jansen. I mean, that was some great insight. The comparisons that he brought up, the old schoolers, when people bring up those names, I could just see you coming out of your seat with excitement. Yeah, I love old school Michigan football. I mean, I grew up with the days of Jamie Morris. I mean, you know, Gerard Bunch back there in the day. Leroy Horde was one of my favorite all-time running backs for the Wolverines back in the day. But they always had the hogs up front to wear down opposing offense, uh, defensive front sevens. And they were able to do that for much of the year last year. I think when they got into critical situations like John said, they struggled in third down consistency, and that's where it put a lot of pressure on Wilton Spate to make plays. Now, he was hurt in that Ohio State game. He wasn't 100%. He's a gutty quarterback, but again, when you lose guys like Jake Butt, when you lose Chesson and Darbo, and when you look at Evans in terms of his running ability, not the same bowling ball type of runner that Smith was, that's where I have concerns in, in terms of Michigan's ability to run the football between the tackles. 
And they're going to have to because I, I think Wilton Spade is a good quarterback. I don't know if he's an elite quarterback. You're going to have to run the ball to be successful at Michigan. I, I like Mason Cole. John brought up uh, Ben Bredesen, who I thought did a nice job in his first season last year. But there are some holes on the offensive line. I, I'm going to be riveted. I know we're all going to be focusing uh, week one, Joe, on, on Florida State, Alabama, and a bunch of other games. But I'm really curious to see how this Michigan team looks right out of the gate against a Florida team that has traditionally been very strong on defense. That's going to be a great test before heading Cincinnati Air Force in the beginning of the Big Ten season. But Florida versus Michigan is going to be a telltale sign for both of those programs. Well, keep in mind, this is a rematch of the bowl game two years ago that Michigan dominated the Gators. So expect Jim McElwain and the Florida Gators to have this game served it's their week one matchup, so they're preparing each and every week as a coaching staff for this matchup. If Florida has any chance uh, to be a playoff team, they need to win week number one. I will say this about Florida's offense. They did not have a rushing touchdown, Rich, in the last six games of the year. They only averaged 128 rushing yards on the ground two years ago. When Jim McElwain took over that program, they were in the area of 184 rushing yards per game. It's going to put a lot of pressure on the offense offensive line and more importantly whoever wins that starting quarterback position Mm. whether it is Luke Del Rio or Malik Zaire they're gonna have to make plays with their arm to stretch that secondary of of Michigan in that matchup yeah I I mean I I'm a big Malik Zaire fan I like the decision for him to go to Florida does he win the job we'll see I certainly expect it to happen once he gets inserted into the offense in August dual threat Uh, which Florida hasn't had for some time. So you take that against Don Brown's defensive of Michigan and just a – you know, just so many new names. We we talked about Gary a lot, but I think Maurice Hurst uh, on the inside could have a salary run season for the Michigan uh, Wolverines. And on the back end, players like Devin Bush, I know they lost a lot of uh, experience, Joe, but I think what they lost in experience on defense – they could gain in athleticism and speed. I look at someone like Bush, a kid from the state of Florida, didn't get a chance to contribute much last year because of the veterans. But this is a sideline and a sideline type player. I think Don Brown is going to be using better athletes this year. So while there might be a drop off defensively in terms of the total numbers, could see more sacks, more takeaways for that unit. Speaking of sacks, this was a team in 2016 that recorded 46 total sacks as a defensive unit. They lose 33 of those or 71% of the of the sack production entering the 2017 season. We'll see how it plays out. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. On College Football Today, last segment of the show, Rich and I breaking down Michigan with John Jansen. Rich, I think this team is 9-3 overall. Uh, I don't think they'll be a playoff team. I think from a defensive perspective is where I have concerns. Who do you have coming out of the Big Ten East? 
Ohio State. Ohio State. We turn our attention to the West now, and I'm going. I'm, we only have five minutes. I'm going out. I'm giving my pick. It is Northwestern. I love the job that Pat's I knew Fitz, it. Love it. Love Pat Fitzgerald. I love Clayton Thorson, and I love Justin Jackson, who, by the way, led the Big Ten in rushing last year. Yeah, I, you know what? I was going to try to say, uh, you know, our on-air marriage. I feel like I, I know my my spouse, my on-air spouse pretty well. I was going to go Northwestern. I know you so well, and that's that's actually quite a good pick. Love their secondary. You talk about the uh, the experience in the backfield. Justin Jackson ready to become the all-time leading Northwestern rusher. Uh, I think they're going to need more help at wide receiver. There has to be... Uh, this year's version of Austin Carr, I think it could be Flynn Nagel, good, sound, uh, uh, sure-handed receiver out of the slot. So I, 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 I have a hard time disputing it because in, in the wide open West, uh, Northwestern brings back a lot of talent to compete with Wisconsin. Well, I'll just break it down. I have Northwestern 10-2, and two, Wisconsin a notch behind because of the loss of T.J. Watt and Vince Beagle. Have them at 9-3. and three. I have Nebraska with a new quarterback, Tanner Lee, 8-4. and four. I have Iowa 6-6, six and six, although they get Nevada running back James Butler to help out Akram Wadley and the crew. I think they're a 500 team. I have P.J. Fleck and Minnesota at 6-6. Six and six. Purdue, unfortunately, have them right in the area of three or four wins this year, but they will be more explosive. And Lovey Smith and the crew, uh, this is a disappointing team. They're at the bottom of the Big Ten West, Rich. Yeah, we don't. We won't uh, disagree too much. Although I, I have the chalk. I'm going to go with Wisconsin up top, Northwestern second. I, I like Alex Hornibrook, the quarterback of the Badgers. Uh, they're always going to run the ball well. Probably have the best offensive line in the conference. But now you have a quarterback who could take advantage of Jazz Peavy on the outside. Uh, Troy Fumagalli, the tight end, uh, arguably one of the top three tight ends in the country. And defensively, they're always rock solid, even though they have a new coordinator for a third straight year in Jim Leonard. So I have Wisconsin up top. The one team that I think will be better than your expectation is Iowa. I always look at the trenches, Joe. I know there are quarterback question marks, but the offensive line, defensive line combination at Iowa, I really like. You touched on James Butler from uh, from Nevada. Combine him with Akram Wadley. I think they'll run the ball well. So Iowa, if there's a surprise out of the West, could be coming out of uh, Iowa City. That's an interesting point. I, I mean, I can't disagree with the offensive line continuity. I just will think about Iowa's losses on the defensive side of the ball. Defensive tackle Jaleel Johnson and obviously Desmond King to that secondary for me, uh, that leadership on the defensive side of the ball, even though they have Josie Jewell, not sold on this team. I mean, I, I bought into them two years ago. From an offensive perspective, if they fall behind, Rich, uh, from a, a passing perspective, they are mm-hmm. limited in terms of their offensive output. No question about it. And and obviously, new quarterback, uh, potentially Nathan Stanley, the sophomore. They do get back Matt, uh, Matt Vandenberg. Uh, they had struggles at wide receiver last year. Vandenberg was injured for most of the season. He now comes back. I, I agree with you. I mean, they have to play tempo. They have to play with a lead or uh, in contention in order to compete. Once they fall behind, this is not the kind of offense, even with a new offensive coordinator, that's going to bring confidence to the Hawkeyes. 
Stay with us each and every Saturday. We'll be here from 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Rich Sermonello. This is Joe Lisi. Stay with us every weekend. Have a great weekend, everyone.